Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. On today's broadcast, in celebration of Black History Month, Andrew is joined by David Barton as they discuss the numerous black heroes of America. In the South, the war is over, but that didn't change hearts. If someone like a Woodrow Wilson comes out with his book and doesn't tell me about these black heroes, then I don't know about them. Well, that's a problem. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Monday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. And again this week, we've got a very special program for you, not only today, but all week long. Last week, I had David Barton and his son Tim on, and Tim had to go to Texas today. He's speaking in a convention. He'll be back tonight, but he wasn't able to be with us. But this week, we've got David Barton with us from Wall Builders. He's based in Alito, Texas, and of course, we gave him an introduction last week, but if you've missed any of this, please go to wallbuilders.com.net.org. He says he owns all of them, and check them out, and I tell you, it's awesome. And David, you are, uh, I guess, in my estimation, the premier historian uh, in America from everything that I know, and I mean that there's news media that have said the same thing. You've been on all of the talk shows. And you just happen to be on our board of directors Love it. of Truth and Liberty. So Thank man, you for we having appreciate me. it. And I tell you, he is awesome. And let me just say that if you've missed any of the programs last week, we are celebrating Black History Month. And David and his son, Tim, we just went through some of the heroes uh, in American history, basically in the beginning of American history, talking about blacks that were heroes. And I learned so much from last week's programs. They were awesome. They were a lot of fun. There's so much great history back there that people just don't know today. And I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people don't like history is, yeah, based on the way we teach it today, I don't like it either. But the way it actually happens is dates. It, yeah, dates and names and places, stuff that's not relevant. And by the way, just from a biblical standpoint, Somebody please tell me what year David killed Goliath. Uh, we can't because we don't know because it's not important to That's the story. The yeah. Bible doesn't give you dates like that. It's, it's not important. What it gives you is a story and people that you can look up to or learn from. You can learn from the bad, the good, the ugly. And that's what we should be doing. It's what we used to do. And so here's the uh, big elephant in the room that uh, if people didn't watch last week, we we addressed this briefly. But let me just say, what are two white guys doing sitting here celebrating Black History Month? How, What can we contribute? I mean, aren't whites automatically racist if they're talking <laughs> about blacks? Well, you got two questions there. So so let's let's talk about the first one. By definition, a racist is someone who has an antagonism toward another person or group based on their race. So um, it didn't say white or black or anything in there. I'll point out Rwanda, when they had their slaughter of a million folks, it was black on black. But there was racism there because one group of blacks didn't like the other group of blacks. There was definite racism. So there was slaughter on one side. Or it can be the Spanish, early Spanish toward Native Americans. Absolutely didn't like it. It could be the French toward the Polish. And actually, it could be the Germans toward the Polish who hated the Germans. It could be the Germans toward the Jews. Doesn't have to be anything. It, it can be any yeah, group. A friend of ours, both of us know him, E.W. Jackson. He's a black man, but I just love what he says. He says it's not white and black, or it, what is your proof of those statements? It's just evil. It's just human nature, and there's always going to be, um, you know, some way to categorize people and justify your carnal feelings yeah. towards them. Well, God tells us real clearly way back in First Samuel sixteen seven. You guys keep looking on the outside. 
I'm looking at the inside. And so when you look at the inside, he is not really caring about what color your hair is, what your eyes are, what race you're from, what height, gender, doesn't make any difference. That's why we're told throughout the Bible, Scythian, free, Jew, Greek, slave, male, female, they're all equal to him. And so when you get a biblical mentality, you're not focused on the superficial things, which is why I, as a white guy, a historian, I've got so many black heroes, pretty unbelievable for a white guy to have that many black heroes. But as we covered last week, we own so many of their original stuff. And I'm just, they're Americans. And I love American history. And they're my heroes because they're Americans. And if a person is going to sit there and say, well, you two white guys, you can't have any opinion about Black History Month. Well, then that's racist. It is. That really that is. is a racist statement. Man. And I and that's you know right. I'm saying this in love. Some of my good friends are are black people, so I'm not against it. But I'm saying that there are a lot of black people that are racist, and they would never admit it because in most people's definition, you can't be a racist if you're in the minority, regardless yeah. what your attitudes are, and that's not true. Well, yeah, that's that's definitely not historically true because there's racist racism is a sin. But a sin doesn't just apply to one group of people. It applies to all of mankind. And so racism can be the minority, can be the majority. It can be whatever color. It can be whatever, whatever gender, whatever. It doesn't matter. If you have that antagonism based on superficial characteristics on the outside, we got a problem because you're not thinking spiritually. You're not thinking biblically. And if you notice color more than you notice whether someone has something to contribute or the strength of their ideas, or you, know, you can learn even from the bad guys if you listen to them. And some of it is, I just heard that. I'm going to make sure I don't do that. You know, they put their hand on the stove. I'm not going to repeat that. So this is Black History Month. And last week when Tim was, was with us, we just went through a bunch of blacks who made a major impact in this nation. And I know that we can't go back and review all of that, but there's people that will see this program and hadn't seen last week. Could you give maybe just a real quick overview of some of the things that we said? Let me just do it by visuals. Um, If I take this guy right here, Harry Hoosier, the Hoosier State. I wonder how many people in Indiana know know that they're named after a black evangelist. We gave his whole story last week. It was so cool. And so, you know, most black folks I know when I speak in black churches, they don't know the story of Harry Hoosier. So Harry Hoosier is a fun one. James Armistead. James Armistead is the hero of the final battle of the revolution. Arguably had more to do with ending the revolution in a timely manner than any other individual. Certainly credited with saving scores of lives. Got all sorts of commendations. He's a great hero. There was a lot of... of, of He's the one that was adopted by Lafayette. Lafayette. General Lafayette. Yeah. I, see, I learned some stuff That's last right. week. And it's fun stuff. Um, this guy, John Morant, is the first black American successfully to evangelize Native Americans. He did so when he was 13 and 14 years old. What a remarkable story. We, his book we have over there, his, his own book, just a great story. Um, this guy, Lemuel Haynes, the first black American to receive a degree of higher education in America. He is the first black American to have a sermon published. And here he is preaching in churches back in the 1700s. And it's a really weird thing because all the people in church are white. See, we would never hear that today. Now, you were giving some stories about, uh, I forget who it was, but they were actually drawing larger crowds than... uh, Harry Hoosier drew larger crowds than Francis Asbury. That's what it was. And we'll study about Francis Asbury in our history books. We'll hear nothing about Harry Hoosier. And he had the larger crowds. And and 
let me kind of put a perspective on this because we looked last week that a lot of this changed with a history book that came out in 1901, 1902. Woodrow Wilson just took black guys out of history. Black folks are gone from history. But he was an academic, the president of Princeton. People say, oh my gosh, he's so smart. Let's use his history books. And so suddenly we don't know our heroes anymore. And the way we deal with black history today is, let me see if I can say this right. The South, the black history in the South is so different from black history in the North. Because we looked last week at, at blacks being elected in the North in, in the 1760s, 1780s, 90s, not in the South. And so you have black history in the North, black history in the middle colonies, which is real different, and black history in the Southern colonies, which is very different. We tend to teach black history in the Southern view. So we get a, a good view of the bad and the ugly. Very rarely do we see the good stuff that happened. And with the 13 original colonies that uh, went through the revolution, three-fourths of them were against slavery. Yeah, so and as soon it's as really we, a skewed opinion. It's a skewed opinion. That's right. We get a, a view. This guy is the, the hero of the Battle of Bunker Hill, Peter Salem. More than a dozen military commendations presented him. The commander-in-chief saved countless scores of American lives in the revolution. Uh, Phyllis Wheatley, first black poetess. Some people do know about her today. We have her, her poems and poetry. Her story and her how she became a Christian and what happened afterwards, really fun stuff. Uh, Richard Allen started the first black denomination in America. Great friend of many founding fathers. He and signer of the Declaration, Benjamin Rush, helped start the first black denomination together. Most folks don't know black and white started black denomination. Uh, Benjamin Rush actually trained Richard Allen in medicine. So there's one of your first black guys trained in medicine by a white guy. Just great stuff. Um, you, you have we covered all of this in detail we last, covered detail week. last so week. So if anybody is saying, well, I've never heard of this, man, I encourage you to get the materials that we're offering. We have this God and Country, which is actually six weeks worth of interviews with David, and it will also include what we did last week and then this week, and it will cover all of this. So there, there's just a bunch of them. You get the and idea. And I want to I want you to mention real quickly. I really like the story about the guy when they went to uh, get the second in command. Oh yes, of the British. One of my favorite stories. That was really well, great. You know, I, I okay. I got to be careful here. This may be a generational thing, but the the movie Princess Bride. It's just one of the most fun movies. You know, I thought of that when Tim was exactly. telling that story. That's exactly the... When we when we tell the story, because if you remember Princess Ride and Nago Montoya, I'm going to find yep, the guy who yep. killed my father. And, and you got Andre the Giant, you know, the, the, the big guy. And, and so as he's trying to get in, Andre just hits the door and knocks yes. it over and says, no, go get it. That's exactly what I thought of. <laughs> so what happened was in, in this story, the American Revolution... Uh, early on in the revolution, America did not have a military to speak of. It was a bunch of school teachers and farmers and shopkeepers out taking on the British military. And the British managed to capture our second in command, who was actually a trained military guy. So this is not a good thing for us to lose our second in command. The only way we can get him back is we have to capture their second in command and have a prisoner exchange because they're not going to give him back. So what happens is Colonel William Barton uh, up in Rhode Island comes up with a bold plan. He says, I've got a plan. It's really dangerous. We'll probably all die. But here's the plan. They have our second command out on an island in the middle of the harbor in Rhode Island, and they have the entire British fleet around there. And they have a fortress on that island, and their second command is inside that castle kind of fortress on the island. We're going to have to go there, and nobody's allowed to take a gun when we go, because if a gun goes off by accident, the British will know we're there and we're all going to die. So no guns. He said, now, suicide kind of mission. I need 40 volunteers, 20 blacks, 20 whites volunteered to go with him. So he had 40 guys. One of the black guys, a guy named Jack Sisson, who is really kind of a, a, a big, strong guy. 
Andre the Giant. Uh, Andre the Giant. He's an <laughs> Andre the Giant of that period. Yeah. And, and so they get in their, their boats and they take out about midnight, maybe two o'clock, because they want to sneak past the British. Hopefully all the British will be asleep. Nobody expects them to come. And so they, they take these rowboats and they on the, on the end of the oars, they put cloth around the end, which they call a muffler. So as they're paddling through the water, it's soft sound and you're not hearing a splash. And they go right under the British warships. They go right through the harbor, right under the British Navy. They get to that fortress on the harbor and the British don't expect anything. So these 40 guys go up, they knock out the British sentries, knock out the British guards, tie them up. Now they get inside the fortress, inside the fortress is stone and they find the commander's living quarters is stone and it's got a big old oak bar on the inside of the door. It's all barred up, the cast metal to hold in it there. And they're going, oh my gosh, we can't wait for him to come out in the morning because all the British should be recovered and awake. And if we try to break through the door now, it's going to take us sledgehammers in a long time. This is going to be a bad deal. This is not good. At that point, Jack Sisson said, you guys get out of my way. He lowered his head and the, the accounts say he hit the door with his head. Really? We think it's head and shoulders what they meant. But it says it hit the door with his head, knocked the door, broke the door off its hinges and got inside. And of course, that awakened the, the commandant who popped up. And either open-handed or with a fist, Jack Sisson just knocked him out, one punch. One account says he put him over his shoulder. One account says he held him under his arm and walked out the door with <laughs> got back on the ships, got back to the American side and said, hey, British, we'd like to make a trade with you. And it's just one of the greatest SEAL Team so stories they in American the history. Trade? They made the trade. They got wow. the second in command back. And, and by the way, one of the things we didn't talk about last week was Jack Sisson, all these guys from Rhode Island, the first Rhode Island regiment was a black regiment. And it was not slaves, it was free blacks. And it was a ferocious regiment. It was best, maybe the best soldiers we had in, in many ways because when the British decided to attack that battle of Rhode Island and they were attacking the Americans, the most vicious of the British soldiers were the Hessian mercenaries. Mm -hmm. They were hired, they were paid, they're professional soldiers, they got no qualms about whoever. And so there was a British commander who spoke German in charge of the Hessian troops. And those 1,500 Hessian troops are ordered to charge the 400 black troops that's the 1st Rhode Island Regiment. And so 1,500 fierce Hessians charge 400 and get their brains beat in. So they retreat. <laughs> so they reorganize. Wow. They make a second charge. Nearly four to one. Four to one. And they get their brains beat in a second time and they retreat. Then they reorganize, make a third charge, get their brains beat in, they retreat. The British commander who spoke German and charged these guys went to the British general and said, do not make me attack again. If I attack again, these guys will kill me. Those, those Rhode Island guys are way too good. And it was like, who's ever heard that story of, of all these free blacks in the American Revolution, maybe one of the best regiments we had? I tell you, we talked about a lot of black heroes that we had did. done some great things. We did. Uh, real quickly, before we basically talked kind of up to the Civil War, and today I'd like to this week deal with from the Civil War on, because man, there's a lot of black history then with man. the Ku Klux Klan and everything that's happened. But before we do that, another point that we made last week that again, some people, even if you heard this last week, you need to hear it again, that we talk about the abuse of the blacks and the slavery, which was terrible, and we aren't trying to minimize that at all, but it made it very clear that there was godly opposition against slavery from the very beginning. That's and right. it was on its way out. And there was kind of a turn that happened in the, what, the early 1820s, and it kind of resurfaced. That's and right. they started bringing in 
states that were slaved along with That's the right. free slave, and and that led to the Civil War. But there was always resistance towards slavery. It is not as many people have looked at American history. It is not as many people think it is, uh, because, I mean, quite frankly, blacks as slaves were not in a position to be their own advocates. So who was advocating for blacks to end slavery blacks? It was white folks. Now, not all white folks were because some white folks were slave owners. And but, as you said often, it's really the South. It was their, it was the love of money yeah. that drove it as much as anything yeah. else because it was dependent upon the slave trade. Well, when, when you look at New York, for example, in, in the 1830s and 1840s, the largest slave owner in New York owned six slaves. And there's only a few hundred in the entire state. Well, you may have a million down in the South. So there is some slavery in the North. It just is nearly... It, it, comparatively, it is nearly non-existent. And so to say that America loves slavery, no, let's take those southern states we did, but up here, there's many states in, in the New England area that did not have a single slave in the census. They and were I all know free. we hadn't got time to go back through it, but people will bring up, well, why in the Constitution did they allow it and why did they do all these things? We dealt with that last week. Yeah. I haven't got time to go back through it. But there's what's seeing the programs over because it will be an epiphany for people to find out the three fifths clause is not a, 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 a clause against the worth of the individual. And we dealt with Washington and Jefferson that they actually petitioned the British government to end slavery, but yet they couldn't get rid of their slaves because it was against the law in Virginia. Virginia, Virginia had some of the weirdest laws in America, and Virginia would not let you free your own slaves. And, and we talked, we couple, talked about a lot of that's stuff. Right. So if you missed that, you must go back and get it. That was some of the best programs. You and Tim just did a great job tag team. And, and let me correct that. Virginia would not let you free your own slaves in many circumstances. They, they gave caveats here and there, but you'll get it from last week. So if that sounded like an overstatement of a fact, yeah, it was. But generally, Virginia is one of the roughest states to try to free slaves in. It was, it was not good. Okay, so anyway, there was this conflict over slavery the, since the birth of, actually before the birth of the nation, but there was momentum moving. The Republican Party started. Uh, Lincoln came in. We fought a civil war over this, and he freed the slaves. And Yeah, if you think all whites are racist, then how come whites went to war against whites to free blacks? That doesn't make sense. It would be blacks fighting whites to free blacks. That's not what the Civil War was. The Civil War was, was largely whites fighting whites, the result of which ended slavery. So there, there's a huge body. As a matter of fact, you know, there was slavery in the North and there were anti-slavery people in the South. But generally, the two sides were kind of far apart on the issue. And if you look at the population, we say the South split from the North and we had the Civil War, which we did, and we tend to think of the two sides as fairly even. Only 18% of the population was in the Confederate states. 82% was in the Union states. So it's like we had a small, really dedicated group, and many of whom were racist or had bad views on race, certainly not biblical views on race, versus a big group up here who's completely on the other side. Now, not everybody in the North was anti-slavery. I mean, human nature being what it is, you have sinners everywhere. You know, Tim mentioned last week, our starting place for all people is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So while you have more slavery in the South and more racism in the South, you still have it up North. And while you have more abolitionists in the North and more anti-slavery in the North, you had some in the South. I mean, it's there, but it just wasn't the same level. And I've also heard that Lincoln had a lot of opposition in the North, people that were tired of the war and there were protests against the war. In New York City, like New York City was probably one of the most racist places in the North. They had race riots. 
uh, trying to allow, at, at that point in time, blacks to ride trolley cars. At the time of the Civil War, all sorts of deaths. New York was a very, that, that was a very racist area around New York City particularly. Uh, other parts of the North, not Not much has all. changed. It's interesting. Um, you know, what is it with being large cities? When you get a lot of people together, it seems like it brings out the worst in humans. You know, you just hit something that's really interesting to the Founding Fathers, because Dr. Benjamin Rush, who is, John Adams said Benjamin Rush of the Founding Fathers was one of the three most notable. And so you got Washington, Ben Franklin, and, and Benjamin Rush. Benjamin Rush is what we would call an evangelical Christian. He started the first Bible Society in America. He started the Sunday School Movement in America, did the first faith-based prison reform in America. He signed the Declaration, ratified the Constitution, served on three different presidential administrations. He started five universities, three of them still go today, trained the first black physicians, but he's a huge civil rights guy. He started the first abolition society in America and started the National Abolition Movement. So Benjamin Rush, as a physician, as a philosopher, as a great thinker, he said, he said, as a doctor, he said, cities are like boils on the, on the body. They're the center of all the impurities in the body because they saw a boil is where all the impurities went. He said, your morals are worse than cities. Your work ethic is worse than cities. Your crime is higher. This was 250 years ago that they saw urban areas as being a real problem for morals, whereas your rural areas where you're, you're not gonna work six, seven, eight hours a day, you may work 14, 15, 16 hours a day, the morals were different, the religion and faith was different, uh, the character was different, the crime was lower. So back then, they saw that as a problem, and New York City was one of those, one of those abscesses uh, of impurities that they saw at that time. Yeah. Now, I've listened to this series that you've done on American history in black and white, and I forget the names of the guys, but you were talking about after the Civil War that a lot of blacks started being elected to Congress and that they were involved. And you had a lengthy uh, uh, delivery that one of the blacks gave in Congress. I can't remember the names, but that guy was powerful. And there were some really prominent blacks that came to the surface right after the Civil War. Right after the Civil War, these are the first seven blacks elected to federal office. Now, blacks were elected to state office before this, but federal office. And so as you go across these guys, just amazing guys. Hiram Rhodes Rebels right here is the first black U.S. senator. He's elected out of Mississippi. Uh, he actually uh, started, uh, he, he was a theolo theology professor at a black college in Mississippi, started one of the black colleges there. Uh, you have Turner, you have uh, fun guys like Robert Brown Elliott over here. Uh, this is Joseph Hayne Rainey, uh, Josiah Walls, Benjamin Turner, uh, Robert DeLarge, all these guys. Now, here's, these guys are my heroes in many ways, and, and let me see if I can explain it. These guys came out of the South. All these guys were elected out of the South. Now, were they slaves before the war? This is what's fun about it. I'm going to answer that question by dodging it for a all minute because right, right. I'll come back That's to fine. it. So what happens with these guys is being in the South, and many of them were slaves. In the South, prior to the Civil War, it was a capital offense to teach a black to read. So if I want to teach a black person to read, he's going to get killed. I'm going to get killed. It's a capital offense. So if you were a slave, you're pretty much illiterate. If you had a master that taught you to read, it was going to be in secret, and it's going to be where nobody knows. So of the first 23 black members of Congress, 13 had been slaves. Now, we're talking 1870 here. 
okay? They were slaves up to 1865 when the 13th Amendment passed. So you have half of these congressmen of the first 23 that were slaves, which meant illiterate. Well, uh, I, this is where they're my heroes. These guys, not relying on education, but relying on their own initiative, they taught themselves to read, and at such a high level that when I read their speeches in Congress, and there's a website called Neglected Voices, which has the speeches of these guys, it takes me a dictionary in one hand and a yeah. thesaurus in the other hand. They're so far over our head today. These are guys who taught themselves to read. Of those 23 guys, 15 became state legislators. You had three that were pastors. You had two that became college presidents. I mean, you just go down the list of what these guys did. They didn't rely on the government to do stuff for them. It's, I got to get myself in gear. I got to make something myself. And that's why they're my heroes. I tell you, we had an awesome interview with David Martin today, and it's going to continue all week long. And we've recorded all of this and put it into this album. This actually contains not only the two weeks interview that I've, I'm doing here during Black History Month, but I also interviewed David Barton in, in 2009 and then again for two weeks in 2013. So you've got a total of six weeks of interview talking about history and a godly perspective on it. This is a great thing. I encourage you to get it. Listen to our announcer as he gives you more information about how you can receive this teaching on God and country. Today, you saw a portion of Andrew's interview discussing Black History Month and the role Black Americans have played in America's history. This entire interview is available as part of the God and Country album, which also includes previous interviews with David Barton discussing America's godly heritage. God and Country is available in either a CD or DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. Each of these valuable resources is available for a gift of any amount when you contact us. We want to say a special thank you to the Grace Partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to put free ministry materials into the hands of many people in need. If you're not already a Grace Partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. We'd like to point out Andrew's upcoming speaking schedule. Mark your calendars to come meet Andrew at one of these events and let the Word of God transform your life. In the month of March, Andrew will be in Woodland Park, Colorado for the annual Karis Bible College Men's Advance. NFL Hall of Fame and Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy will be a guest speaker at this event, along with James Brown, Emmy Award winning broadcaster on the CBS and NFL networks. Also in March, Andrew will be back in Woodland Park hosting the Army Conference for Ministers. Guest speakers at this event will be Pastor Dwayne Sheriff, Billy Epperhart, and Dr. Barry Burns. In April, Andrew will be hosting a special Easter season production titled God With Us in Woodland Park, Colorado. God With Us is the original love story of a passionate God on a relentless quest to rescue His people. 
Also in April, he'll be hosting the annual Karis Bible College Campus Days. Guest speakers at this event include Carrie Pickett, Daniel Bennett, Greg Moore, Rick McFarland, Wendell Parr, and Lawson Perdue. Then, Andrew will be joining Ashley and Carly Terradez in Colorado Springs, Colorado for the Abundant Life event. Next, Andrew will be speaking in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. And lastly, in April, he'll again be in Woodland Park to host the Don't Limit God Conference with guest speaker Jesse Duplantis. And in May, Andrew will be in Telford, England for the annual UK Grace and Faith Conference. For more details on Andrew's next meeting in your area, visit our website at awmi.net.